And uh, this morning, we are going to share something very intriguing. As you have read uh, in our scripture reading, where it said, And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. I read it, as most of us read it. And yet, we sometimes forget that in verse 6 it said, And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. And as you noticed, my topic today is the gospel. And here it's talking about the everlasting gospel. What is the everlasting gospel? And I think I'm going to have you respond. What do you think the everlasting gospel is? Or what do you think the gospel is? Please, briefly. Story of the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Story of the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. Okay? Anybody else? God's love corresponds. Anyone else? The good news? It is good news, isn't it? <laughs> what you just said and what you said. and It is good news. Anybody else? For me, the good news is that Christ paid the price for my salvation. For you. And also for everybody. Anybody else? Please. Well, just what you just said, the good news for you and I individually. Personally. It's not just for corporate, for everybody in the whole world. It's you and I individually. Personally. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. And yet, for, all. for everybody. But it's personalized and it's beautiful. The news of salvation. News of salvation. Salvation? What do you mean by salvation? Sin. Freedom of sin. Yes. Interesting. Anybody else? Please? The, the revelation of God's righteousness. That's a whole sermon in itself. Mm -hmm. Really. And the message that you gave last Sabbath was beautiful. His righteousness, and you know what his righteousness encompasses. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And you know, all of you have said what you did, and it's so meaningful. And it seems like you and I now realize that, yes, the gospel is good news. The Lamb of God being crucified in our place. And you look at it all, and you say, it is just beautiful. The gospel of Christ, according to Romans 15, 19. The gospel provides a solution to the basic human problem. For earth's sin and misery, the gospel is the only antidote. And you have heard Almost every day, something happens 
that is so devastating. And maybe we should take a moment to review what just happened in that mosque. How many people now? Have almost 300? And many have been uh, injured. That gives you a little idea of the world that we're living in. It's a rough one. And it happened out there. But it also happened in the United States of America. We're in a church shooting took place, and you know what I'm referring to. Would I be out of order to remind you that things aren't going to get any better? Things could get much worse? And you will be tested to the limits? Even in this church, you don't know what could happen. And maybe that's why that good news, the gospel, should be something that you and I should experience every moment of our life. Because we don't know what could happen. We don't know. God knows. And that's why God wants us to make sure that today is the day that you and I choose to be on his side and his side only. He took our punishment on himself and gave us his righteousness. That's what you said, doctor. And his righteousness is not something that we earn in any way, shape, or form. It's a gift. We accept it, and when we accept it and realize that we need it, and when we really realize we need it, it almost makes me feel like that unless people realize they need it, they won't get the righteousness of Christ. How do we get that righteousness of Christ? By knowing we need it, and as the Bible says, is it in Romans 1.16? For when you confess your sins, he is right. He is. First John 1 John 1.9. And what does it say there? If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins, if you confess, and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you have awareness of your need and do that, he will forgive you, and not only forgive you, but give you his righteousness. And that makes you righteous in the sight of God. Not because of your righteousness, but because of Christ's righteousness, of God's righteousness. And it's, it's interesting that this is for every man, woman, and child upon the face of this earth, who has ever been born, lived, living, and shall live. 
So when you look at it from that standpoint, it makes you feel like the gospel is good news. It's wonderful. It's heavenly. It gives us something that is great. Uh, it's rather interesting that uh, we have so many Bible quotes and Bible messages that makes us feel like we don't deserve it. And yet, God loves us so much that he actually gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So there's a point to where people will perish and people will have everlasting life. And God has made us to make that choice. He gives us that freedom, that willingness to somehow realize that there's no way that God will force us. I, I don't know whether it's right or wrong, but you know, when you share, you have to share. And the experiences that I have in the church in Homeland and in this church, there's some things I share in the other church about you folk. And some of the experiences I have there, I share here. And I don't know whether I've ever told you that during Sabbath school, one lady went ahead and said, you know what? I told my husband the other day that he's going to go to heaven whether he likes it or not. And the way she said it, 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 it just seemed like she's going to make sure she, he for, she forces him to go to heaven. And uh, those things, you just can't force anybody. But it's all through, as you know, it's a matter of love. And it wins the hearts of people. And God's love is divine love. It not only wins, but touches the heart of every person in such a marvelous way that you couldn't help but realize that it is only through God's gift. Justification of sinners, that is, their declaration of being righteous before the mercy seat of God happens by faith alone apart from the works of the law, Galatians 2.16. It's a gift. We can't earn it. And yet, if you really think, you would rather be with people who try to work their way to heaven please don't misunderstand me, than with people who do, do disregard everything and are ruthless. You understand what I mean? Mm. And yet you know that you can't work your way through heaven, but there's something about people that are willing to, and if they see the light all at once, they begin to say, that's a gift. It's not something that I earn. And I think this is where you and I have to be extremely careful to make sure 
make sure that we are not sort of working away into heaven. Almost as if to say, whether we like it or not, but we think that it's a good thing to be in heaven rather than somewhere else. And sometimes we, we have a real struggle there because how do we know? It's rather interesting that in Psalms 31.1 it says, Deliver me in your righteousness. End of that little Psalms 31.11. Deliver me in your righteousness, in God's righteousness, in Christ's righteousness. Maybe that's why God considered Abraham as righteous because of his trusting in God fully. He did what God wanted to do, and that's the issue that you and I have to face. Oh, yes, we do our own thinking. We do our own planning, and we have pressure here, there, everywhere. But... The most important thing in life is to learn to trust God. Uh, I suppose I should, again, my wife says, get off that subject. But the older I get, and in just December the 7th, I'm going to be 90, the more I live, the more I sense more fully that there are certain things in life that are less meaningful. And there are other things that are more meaningful. Maybe that's why God is letting me live longer to realize that, if you know what I mean. Because in my younger years, I didn't have any fear of anything I felt like I was it. And even before I became a Seventh Adventist Christian, I felt like, you know what? Uh, everything's going my way. I think I'm the happiest guy in the world until I was confronted with a real issue in life. And maybe some of you have heard this, but it was at a week of prayer in school, a Catholic, I was, when the preacher simply said as follows, how many of you students want to be in heaven someday? And all the students stood up. And I looked around and I stood up too. Because if anything, I wanted to be in heaven. Because being a Catholic, I knew what hell was like. The description that some churches give of hell, that's the last place you want to be. And Catholics have a way of making it very clear that when you're in hell, you live in hell forever and ever and ever. And that doesn't speak very well of God's righteousness. You understand the great controversy that's going on here? 
So I stood because I wanted to be in heaven. But the preacher said, and I will repeat that to you because we learn from Sabbath school teachers and from preachers and ourselves as we read the Bible, simply said, just because you want to be in heaven doesn't mean you'll get there. And I want you, each of you, to think very seriously about this because, you know, all Christians know a lot about heaven and they want to be in heaven. And just because you want to be in heaven doesn't mean to say that you'll get there. And this preacher said that. And as a student, 18 years old, I listened carefully and I knew just exactly what he meant. Because God's Holy Spirit was impressing me Yes, you want to be in heaven. And then he said, just because you want to be in heaven doesn't mean to say you will be in heaven. The only way to get to heaven is accepting Christ and his righteousness, accepting Christ. And all those that want to be in heaven someday, are you willing to accept Christ as your personal Savior? Come forward. And I want to tell you something. That's where the battle started, a real battle. Because in my mind, I didn't want to. That's the Sabbath school lesson, flesh part of the human mind. I, I just wanted to go back to baseball pitching, back to the Catholic church, back to home, back to my community, anything but face the reality of, do I want to be in heaven or not? There's a way to get to heaven, and there's only one way. So, what do you think I did? I started battling in my mind. And I'm wondering whether the experience I went through wasn't the experience that we hear about, and that is that the greatest battle that is being fought is in your mind. That battle is for life or death. So he called again, all those that want to accept Christ and be in heaven someday, would you please come forward? Nobody stood. I mean, nobody came forward. And I kind of looked around wondering, why not? And I didn't want to go. Until, whether by accident or purposely, the student that was standing right beside me just moved enough to, as if to just jar me a little bit. And I kind of felt like, yes, he wanted me to go. So what do you think I did? I went forward. Now here is what I can't understand. Until then, I was making my decisions. But when I finally made the decision to go forward, mentally and physically to start coming forward, my whole system just broke down. Tears came to my eyes. I knew I was doing the right thing. I didn't want to, but I did. I'm going forward, just weeping. And I'll tell you what really happened. I think what happened was that God at that point was giving me a new heart not a heart of stone and 
bitterness and selfishness and all that stuff that we as human beings have, I came forward. And then we had other students that came forward. And then the preacher prayed for us when the rest of the congregation was still there. And do you know, that experience that I had impressed me so much because I have never been at a week of prayer. I have never in my life took my stand for Christ by somebody asking me. Interesting, the age of 18, nobody has ever asked me. I was confronted and I made a decision. But the minute he was through with the prayer, asking God to bless the decisions we made, as soon as he dismissed us, what do you think I wanted to do? I wanted to go back to my room just to be alone. I knew now I belonged to a family, a group that want to be in heaven someday, and that identity is very important. We all have a sense of feeling that we want to belong. But I wanted to be alone back in my room. And when I got to my room, I immediately knelt down and I prayed for the first time, not using the rosary, which I've used so many times, but I prayed to God as to a friend. And as I prayed, I didn't realize fully until I kind of remembered that we were dismissed and the students were leaving the church and the chapel and I could hear them talking and having a wonderful time because in the week of prayer and uh, they have already made up their minds to be Christians, to be in heaven someday and whatnot. They've accepted Christ as personal savior, but I was alone. I was there praying. And all at once I noticed that there's nobody in the dorm. I was the first one and somebody else came. First flight of stairs, second, third, you can say and hear the person walking. And then the person didn't even open the door uh, the, the, I mean, he actually opened the door, didn't knock, and just walked right in. And as soon as he walked right in, I knew it was my roommate, one of my roommates. And I was taught, as a Catholic, that when you're praying to God, nothing should disturb you. So I prayed, still praying. This person came to me and put his arm around me and prayed a wonderful prayer, asking God to help me to remain faithful and true to the very end. Do you have any idea of how many in this church and in this community are waiting for you and me to put our arms around them and just pray for them? Encourage them. Make them realize that you are bound for heaven. And the reason that you are bound for heaven, don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes. So you see, 
it is your experience that's vital in this whole thing. And I have a feeling that the experience that I went through is the experience that I have shared with my family and others. Reason? Because you never want to forget how the Lord has led you. And particularly how the Lord has led you. And sometimes we share very much about how Satan has led us. Leave it behind. Get the behind. Because that's not the important part. It's how we've all sinned, have come short of the glory of God, and how God has saved us. Did you know that Romans 10.3 says, Since they did not know the righteousness of God. Think of the fact that Thanksgiving, <laughs> and we should be thankful always, is over. And immediately, even before Thanksgiving, Christmas. And it's so commercialized, so commercialized. And yet people don't realize. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. The greatest gift God has given to everyone upon the face of this earth. And yet, the evil one is trying his hardest to somehow obliterate that gift to make sure that people do not get to heaven. You, you follow what I'm saying? And God wants us to be so thankful. Did you know then in Ezekiel 33, 31, it says, So they came to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. That verse describes me right to the T. It's amazing how we still struggle in such a way that we wonder what is it about life that should be so meaningful if our focus is on heaven and how to get there through Christ, His righteousness, God's righteousness. So maybe... I should sort of say that Christianity, Christ-likeness, should begin in our hearts. And our hearts are at home. Maybe it should be in our home. And sometimes it's not exhibited in the home as it should be. I know. My wife knows that sometimes at home is the hardest place to exhibit that type of Christian love. 
that lady that said to her husband, you're going to get to heaven whether you like it or not. And sometimes we exhibit the same thing at home. We take control. We say things that we shouldn't say as Christians. We have attitudes that are not appropriate. We uh, exhibit some things that we should be ashamed of. But we do it anyway. Why? How do we treat our family? How do we f treat our children? How do we treat our spouses? How do we treat our neighbors? How do we... I mean, just look at all those things that sometimes we totally forget. It's not enough to know the Bible truth. We must live it every day. God not only wants us to be informed, he wants us to be transformed. Amen. And when we're transformed, it is amazing how wonderful and beautiful it is to live with yourself, with your family, with the church, the place of work, the community, you put it all together and you say, you know, love is great. In fact, in Psalms, Song of Psalms, chapter 8 and verse 9, it says, Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. <laughs> and you know, when this refers to waters quenching love and uh, nor can floods drown it. We've had some hurricanes that were devastating. And yet you see people looking for things that they can attach themselves to and go on in life. Homes totally demolished. They're looking for something And yet, if there are two people together, they embrace each other and they have the kind of love that will survive anything. And God so loved the world, we can survive anything and everything and have eternal life. We love him because he first loved us in John. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And you know, this word love is a word that is used so commonly without any real thought or meaning behind it. And I don't know whether you have experienced that. I have children. I have grandchildren, my wife and I. And we even have great-grandchildren. 
and we see the personality of each one of them. But one of the things that sometimes children begin to do is they say, I love you, Grandpa. And it's nice to be loved. But sometimes you hear the word, I love you, Grandpa, a little bit more around Christmas time <laughs> than some other times because they want some gifts or they want to manipulate. And even spouses sometimes say, I love you, and what's the purpose? In fact, I think it'd be kind of nice if you hear that word, I love you, I love you, I love you, to sometimes draw back and say, oh, you said you love me. What do you mean when you say, I love you? And listen. It's amazing what you will hear. It's amazing what you will hear. In fact, what you will hear, listen carefully, because if what you're hearing, it says, I love you because I am satisfied. You're a good cook. You're a good this. You're a good this, and it's all for me, for me, for me, for me. The person very likely could be very selfish. But if the person says, what I mean when I love you and I say I love you is I will do everything for you. I want you to have a happy home, to have and become your finest person, to understand more fully what God's love is, hoping through me. In fact, when I say I love you, what I probably mean is I would do anything to make sure that you experience God's love. And when I say I love you, I would do anything to make sure that you have eternal life. And it's everything for you, for you. And if you are doing the same for the other person, you're not selfish at all. You're doing everything for the other person. God did everything to make sure that we have eternal life. And he wants us to be God-like, Christ-like, to do the same for others. And in the church, at home, in the community, and all that goes with it. It is wonderful and it is great. And it's 12 o'clock. So, maybe I should end this note and make you realize that since God is love, we cannot possibly love anyone unless we have a relationship with God and understand his character completely. And sometimes we think we can. And maybe it's not really true love. But what God says to each one of us, that he will restore us back to his image so we could be God-like and love even those that persecute us, even those that hate us, we still love them. How could that be possible?
With God, all things are possible. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we can refer to your holy book and help us to understand more fully what the gospel truly is and what love is and what your character truly is. Not as the one who is the evil one who has tried to defame your character and tried to have us believe, but help us to trust God. And as we trust you fully, you have assured us that you will guide us, restore us, and have each one of us have heaven not only ourselves, but with others that we love and care for. And it is only through the precious blood of Jesus and his righteousness. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.